Well, about 13 years ago, a forlorn couple left a doctor's office in Beverly Hills, frustrated and heavy-hearted. The baby's heartbeat, they had been told, was too faint. Come back in three weeks, the doctor said, and you can hope for the best in the meantime, but I would recommend bracing for the worst. The couple was given three weeks with nothing to do but pray and hope. This on top of the fact that this new setback would have simply been the latest on a quickly growing list of setbacks, but pray they did. Several years before that, in a completely unrelated story, a young new mother, confused, alone, hopeless, a thousand miles from here, made the heart-wrenching choice to give up her child for adoption. She loved the baby, but felt that she had nothing to offer a young life other than her prayer. So she said goodbye to the baby, but began a years-long, public, and emotional, persistent campaign of prayer that the child would one day hear the gospel and surrender his life to Jesus. A third and final story. In the cold and dry and hilly city of Jerusalem, wealthy with tradition and electrified by political oppression, spiritual turmoil, with filled with uncertainty about their identity, the identity of the Messiah, in the original Advent season, a devout Jewish man, full, the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit, is convinced that the Messiah is coming and his restless heart waits patiently as he clings to the promise of God. I invite you to join us today for the reading of God's word down on page 9 of your bulletin, beginning in Luke chapter 2, verses 22, and we'll read to the end of verse 38. Please join with me as I read aloud. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at every hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This ends the reading of God's word. 
I want to invite us to just uh, pray one more time together before we begin our message today. Uh, Father, thank you again for this time. We are, we are overjoyed to be here together in the presence of your children, and, and uh, thank you for this church, New Life Burbank, and for the great privilege of gathering here together today. Uh, most of all, now, Lord, we thank you for the word that lays before us, that we hold in our hands and, and hold in our hearts, and I pray that as we study this story today and imagine all that you intended to communicate through it, I pray that you would give us great wisdom, great discernment. I pray too, Lord, that you would give us, above all other things, a heart of willingness to trust in you and to seek your will for our lives so that we might understand our own selves and our experiences, our life and relationships in our world according to all that is written in your word. We thank you for the example of your servant Simeon and we ask that you would help us to learn from him today. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, well, as Alan mentioned, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors at Pacific Crossroads Church. Uh, I brought with me a special guest today, my daughter Delaney. She's the oldest of our three children. Uh, my wife and I have three kids. And, and uh, so what I want to, uh, what I want to um, recommend for us today is that we, we were chosen for the time, the theme of our time here together, the theme of prayer. And as I read many times in preparation for our time this morning about the story of Simeon, I, I was just inspired by the, the, uh, the heart of Simeon for prayer, for his ability to understand. Many of the questions that came up as I read through the story is, how did he know what God had intended for him? How did he know that this was the Messiah? What was it about, about the voice of God in his life and that caused him to, to go to the temple and to wait and to worship? And I believe that, he, that Simeon's primary example for all of us is this life of prayer. And, and so what I wanted to do, I started with three stories, kind of opened them. We're going to ask four questions about prayer, and then we will, and then we will close with uh, the conclusion of those three stories at the end of our time here together today. And, uh, but but uh, I just want to, before we begin too much further, I want to thank you for your hospitality today. I do know Jeff and, and have an ongoing friendship with him, and so have prayed uh, alongside him for your church congregation here, and so it's great uh, to be here with all of you, and, and thank you once again for the invitation. So, uh, But let's, let's begin. Let's begin our journey into the story today with the study of Simeon. What an incredibly powerful story, especially as we close out the Advent season here and think about who Simeon was meant to be and how he exemplifies the life of prayer. So Simeon, we find he goes, we notice in the story that he goes to the temple, this is in Jerusalem, to wait and to worship, and there was a lot of messianic expectation around Israel at that time. There were people who thought that this, the, the time of the Lord had come, and that uh, they were awaiting the, the consolation of Israel, the passage describes it. And Simeon goes to the temple and, and waits, and he has been given this promise, this incredible promise by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he sees the Messiah. And, uh, and so... I want to explore just a little bit about his life of prayer. How did he know this? So we'll talk in our own lives about, about prayer. And, uh, and so the first question we'll get to in just a moment. Um, but I want us to, to stop here for just a moment. So um, one, one writer said this about prayer, that prayer is the, is the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. In real prayer, prayer is our conversation with God, our, our listening to him, our speaking to him, our expression of our hearts unto God. Uh, this author says that, that in, in prayer, in real true prayer, we learn to think the thoughts of God. We learn to desire the things that God desires. We learn to love the things that God loves and we learn to will the things that God wills. But there is more, the author says, 
in real prayer, authentic, deep prayer, we go to places that we may not necessarily want to go. We learn lessons that we may not want to learn. We tell secrets that we may not want to tell and we walk bridges that we may not want to cross. We face battles that we may not want to fight. And then we change the world. We stand at the door of heaven and rush in as the children of Christ. But as we go, we ourselves change because to pray is to change. Many of you, I can imagine, just in the brief moments that we've had here, are exemplary prayer warriors and you are committed to the life of, of prayer as Simeon was. Uh, but there are other, others of us who, who maybe perhaps as we're making our New Year's resolutions and looking out at 2020, prayer is one of the things that, that I, th- I find often in ministry is one of the things that, that some of us uh, would like to grow in and find that we are lacking in. And so I ask the first question of our message today is why, why do so many of us struggle to pray? Why do so many of us struggle to pray? I have a few ideas. This list is not comprehensive. These, will, these may sound familiar to you, some of them. They certainly uh, sound familiar to me. Uh, but, but the first one is that maybe we feel like we don't need to. So in our pragmatic and progressive culture, uh, we have everything we need for the most part. It's hard to pray uh, as we just prayed together. Give us this day our daily bread with all sincerity when we have a refrigerator that is stocked with food. Uh, Many times in our spiritual and emotional needs, with those needs, we process our calamity and process our chaos with people that are around us because it's more immediate and we can't see necessarily God face to face. And when that fails, when those things fail, we sometimes can numb our our needs with our busyness, our self-importance, and sometimes even sin and self-deceit. And even the strivings of religion. Sometimes we feel like we don't need to pray. Maybe a second reason is this, that we just don't have the time. I find that sometimes, have you ever had this happen to you where you go for days in a row and and without ever pausing long enough to pray, to pray with sincerity and and, and to pray with authenticity? Uh, We get up early, the alarm goes off, the kids are, are running around the house getting ready for school we got to pack the lunches and get the school clothes on and, and, and start arranging the carpool. And, uh, and then we get home at the end of a long day, tired from a busy day at the office and having had a long series of meetings or whatever the case may be. And sometimes uh, we don't have the time to pray or we don't rather take the time to pray. Maybe we don't believe, this is thirdly, we don't believe that prayer will make a difference. And even if we want to believe, we may have enough uncertainty in our theology of prayer to wonder why we pray persistently and specifically to a God who, though loving, has already written the story of our lives. Sometimes I think we wonder in in because we trust God and because we know that He is true and we have found Him to be true, that sometimes we think, well why do I need to pray if He already knows the story and the outcome? Maybe this is another thought here, why so many of us struggle to pray. Perhaps the enemy has convinced us that prayer is not that big of a deal. Perhaps we're afraid to hope is another reason. Um, Hope is sometimes audacious and unstoic, undignified. The real daring living hope requires things that the Bible loves, which is dependence on God, the relinquishment of our control, the surrendering of our control to the work of God in our lives. And the pure-heartedness that is willing to live by faith through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He may not answer the prayers in the way that we want him to, but we must recognize that we should bring it nonetheless as a grateful child to a loving father. 
So that's question number one, why so many of us struggle to pray, and just a few ideas on that one. Question number two is this, why is prayer so important? Why does the Bible um, talk so often about prayer, and why does Jesus exemplify prayer? Why do we see in this passage this, this example of prayer in the life of Simeon? And we ask, why is prayer so important to us? Uh, number one, uh, these are, again, just a few ideas for me, not meant to be comprehensive, but, but a few thoughts that I wanted to share with us today. Maybe prayer reminds us with vividness and undeniably that everything of eternal value, which is salvation, wisdom, love, joy, faith, these virtues and, that come from our growth and holiness, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that, that all of these things come only from God and there is no other way to obtain these things. And prayer has a wonderful way of reminding us of that. How about this? That, that prayer causes us to verbally and consciously confess our reliance upon God. So even during moments when we think, well, I don't really need to pray because I trust God to, to work out this story for me with the struggle that I'm having with my health or the struggle that I'm having with my job or the uncertainty that I have about who God made me to be as I discern the will of God of my life, over my life for the future, we may, we may uh, trust him. There's a beautiful prayer that I've always loved in Psalm chapter 5 at the opening of the psalm where it says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear our prayer. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. And I've often read through those words of that psalm and thought of, of uh, and I, I love that. And I love, uh, I pray that prayer several times throughout the day especially in the mornings. In the morning, O Lord, I bring my request before you. I lay it before you and wait in expectation. And, and, and I lift a prayer up as, a, as, a, uh, as an offering of an expression of my trust in God. And all of us who love God and who, who long to connect with him in prayer uh, sometimes make this our habit. But there are other times when the Bible seems to call us to this type of persistent prayer, the kind of prayer that Simeon displays for us in the passage here today. Prayer is important because it causes us to verbally and consciously confess our reliance upon God, to, to allow our mouths to speak, God, I need you, I depend on you. I cannot do what you have called me to do apart from you. John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches apart from you, you can do nothing. And prayer is an opportunity at every moment of every day to express this to God. A third reason why prayer might be so important is that it connects our will with the will of God. It connects our will with the will of God. Romans 12, 2, in a familiar passage, it says this, that where Paul, Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We hear in the writing of Paul, an admonition to all of us, an encouragement to all of us that, that we, we seek the transformation of our lives by the renewing of our minds, our immersion in Scripture, our participation, these habits of grace, our immersion in the Christian community and sharing life together with other believers and in, uh, in engaging wholeheartedly and fully in prayer and seeking the will of God, that in all those things, God transforms our minds by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And in all those ways, we learn to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As Simeon learned that the Messiah was imminently arriving, so we learn through prayer about the desires and the plans of God. A couple other reasons I believe why prayer is so important, and we see this kind of come alive even in our story today. 
that prayer binds us together with one another. Um, that's why I believe that Jesus calls us in several places to pray for our enemies. Uh, and if you've ever done that before, you know that sometimes what happens when you begin to pray for someone that you may not want to pray for, your heart for that person changes. Jesus invites us into this, this process of, of, of learning to live with mercy and forgiveness and grace and yielding and a desire to live out the beatitudes that he commends to turn the other cheek. And we pray for our enemies. And not only that, but we pray for our friends. And I find, I've found this in my life and I know that many of you have as well. That as you pray for someone, that your heart for that person grows. It binds us together as a family. There was a, um, perhaps you've, you've uh, had someone that has prayed for you over a long period of time and, and, and you just develop a, a real strong sense of appreciation and affection for them because of all the prayers that, that prayed for you. It's why those of us who have kids just love the people who care for our kids and who invest in them and who pray for our kids. And some of you may recognize that as well. Another reason why prayer may be so important to us is that, is that it enlivens our obedience to God. It enlivens our obedience to God. It, it, one, to use a sports analogy, in, in some ways it kind of, in many ways it, it puts us on the field rather than being in the stands. My wife and I and, and our two younger kids spent all, all week this past week, or a couple days this past week, watching Delaney, our daughter here, play basketball in a tournament. And, uh, and it was so much fun. But I, I think it's probably even more fun for Delaney because she was the one out there on the court with the uniform on, engaging in the game. And, and, uh, and prayer, I've always thought of it this way too. It's an opportunity for us to experience, to be out there on the field or on the court rather than just in the stands. And we see that in a very lively um, way in the life of Simeon, that, that, that Simeon's awareness of, of, of the plan of God that was being lived out in front of him that he knew about through prayer and his willingness to come into the temple and to wait and to worship and to express his, his hope in God, express his faith in God, his expectation towards God. We see in his life this beautiful experience that Simeon then receives to hold the child in his arms because he, he committed himself to this life of prayer. Prayer enlivens our obedience to God. It, it, it reforms our posture it reminds us of who God is in relationship to ourselves and in relationship to the world. So question number one, the big ones was, why do so many of us struggle to pray? Question number two is, why is prayer so important for us? The third question is, so what does the Bible call us to pray for? What does the Bible call us to pray for? And again, we see this woven into the story of Simeon that we read earlier. Number one, I believe that we ought to pray for the things that God loves. And the Bible gives us, again, not comprehensive, but several things that, that the Bible does command us to pray. The first one is for the salvation of the lost. The salvation of the lost. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2-4, through 4, Paul writes this beautiful expression to Timothy. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we see in this Paul's words to Timothy an encouragement and admonition to all of us to pray for the salvation of the lost. And so I ask 
each of us, including myself, who are gathered here today, are we praying actively, fervently, persistently, and hopefully for the salvation of our neighbor, for the salvation of our coworker, for the salvation of our family member, our child? This is one thing that God loves. The second thing that I may commend to all of us to pray for is, is the unity and building up of the church, the unity and building up of the church. In John 17, many of you may be familiar with this passage where Jesus, near the end of his life, offers a prayer, and he prays for all of us that, that we, as, as followers of Christ through the ages, would be one, as he and the Father are one. He prays for our unity, and so we learn by the example of Christ to play, pray for the unity and building up of the church. There's a famous example given of, of Charles Spurgeon, the, the British preacher in the late 1800s. Uh, there, there was a room at the church that some of you may have heard of before called the Boiler Room, and it was sometimes said of, of Spurgeon's church, the tabernacle there in London, that there were sometimes during a worship service more people down in the basement of the church praying for the service than there were actually attending the service. That was how powerful their commitment was to pray. And so we are compelled by examples like those and, and even more importantly by the example of, the, of God's servant Simeon to pray for the unity and building up of the church around Jesus and around the purposes of Christ. The Bible also commends unto us very specifically that we pray for the sending of workers into the harvest. The sending of workers into the harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, these are the words uh, of, of the... Um, of the gospel writer Matthew, where it describes the life of Jesus. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We receive from the very lips of Jesus this command to pray for the sending of workers into the harvest. I love even just a moment ago how Alan prayed for our missionary partners who are on the frontier spreading the gospel and, and, and to pray for them, to pray for more workers to enter into the harvest, something that we can pray for as we join in the will and the purposes of God as he, as he renews our own lives and our city and our churches. Another thing that we may pray for that the Bible calls us to pray for is, is, our, is our own growth in wisdom, our growth in wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, James has, says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Our growth in wisdom. It's one of the few guaranteed answers to prayer that the Bible gives to us. But the reason I mentioned the things that I just did, what, what are some things that we ought to pray for? It's because I believe that many times people struggle um, with feelings of fruitlessness in their prayer lives uh, because we may not be praying for the right things, but, but we see here in the scripture these things that, that, the, that the Bible uh, commands us to pray for, the salvation of the lost, the unity and building up of the church, the sending of workers into the harvest and for our own growth and wisdom. And I hope and, and pray, particularly as we, as we um, set our course for the new year, that all of us would, would commit to praying more deeply for each of those things. The fourth and final question that I wanted to ask of our passage today as it relates to prayer and the example that we see in the life of Simeon 
is this question here. How should we pray? How should we pray? And I believe that this passage and others call us to pray, number one, with primacy and passion. With primacy and passion. James chapter 5, once again, at the very end, James, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So after Jesus dies, the disciples are left to, uh, to build these communities of followers of Christ based around his teachings and, and, set and, and constructed uh, under the power of God, for the glory of God, to help spread the gospel around Jerusalem and in all the known world at the time. And one of the churches that develops early is this church in Jerusalem, and it's led by, by James. And he writes this letter later on to, the, to this church, and he concludes his letter with this statement here. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And what I hear in this this closing command of James as he finalizes his letter to the church in Jerusalem is is he's saying, pray with with primacy. Let Let your reflex, the first thing you think of when you hear of someone who's sick, the first thing you think of when you hear of someone who's rejoicing, the first thing you think of when you hear of someone in need to pray with pray primarily the first thing the first order of business is to pray and to pray with with passion it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective so we pray with primacy we also pray with hope we pray with patience and with perseverance and in the book of Matthew chapter 7 this is in the sermon on the mount Jesus tells his followers this he says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened there's a, a tone that jesus is using here that, that doesn't necessarily come across in the english translations but he's but, but what it is is he's saying to his disciples keep asking it will be given to you keep seeking and you will find keep knocking and the door will be opened for everyone who keeps asking will receive. The one who keeps seeking will find, and the one who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. One person said this about persevering prayer. He said, I look at the stone cutter hammering away at a rock a hundred times without so much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it splits in two. I know it was not the one blow that did it, but all that had gone before and that could be an encouraging reminder to pray uh, with perseverance and with patience to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking as we pursue the will of God for our lives. We see that in the life of Simeon and we take that as an example uh, for our own lives as well. Another final thought on how we should pray, which is the final question, is to pray humbly, recognizing the wisdom and the character of God. So we come before him. Yes, we do have confidence, the book of Hebrews says, that we can enter the throne of grace, that we can come before God because of the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and that we have access to God, that we can express to him our hearts with all authenticity and with all sincerity. We can go before the Lord. But when we do so, we pray with humility. And, and, And we are trusting in the purposes of God, then the wisdom and the character of God. We also know that God will do as he wills when we pray. 
that we can express our desires to him, that we can express our prayers to him, but we do so with open-handedness, recognizing that, that, that God will provide what God desires to provide. He may not give us everything we desire, he may not, but he'll give us everything we need according to his own will for our lives. I wanted to, back before we did our scripture reading at the very beginning of our message today, I, I wanted to share just a couple of conclusions to those stories. The first one I, was the little one about there was a, uh, an expectant couple who, who uh, thought that they might lose this young baby. And, and, uh, and you may have guessed when I was sharing that story that I was telling a story about my wife and I that we had went through an experience of great uh, despair where, where um, it was a situation totally out of our control for the health of our young son who's now 13 years old and, and running around somewhere in Santa Monica uh, today, that, um, that there was a time where, where all we could do as, as we looked at his life was to pray for him and we prayed with, with fervency and, and perseverance and, and, and passion and, and also just trusting that God's will would be done in his life. And, and, uh, and so that came, became, his life became for us an answer to prayer. Thanks be to the Lord. There's another incredible story in my, in, in, in my uh, I've been in pastoral ministry about 20 years and there was a time, the second story that I opened at the beginning of our message was the story of a young mom who, who uh, was very young and, and didn't have the resources to care for this child. She loved Jesus, but she, but she had to let this child go for adoption and, and she prayed uh, just fervently over years that this child, uh, she didn't know where he had ended up, but that he would become a believer in Christ and, and uh and through a, a, just a very um, uniquely providential set of events, I ended up meeting this mom, and we were, we were going through a couple stories, just meeting each other, and, and, uh, and found out um, in, a, in a providential way that, that I actually knew who this child was, and, and, and he had been in our youth ministry that I was leading at the time, and had, had come to faith in Christ, and it was an incredible opportunity to, um, to just let this mom know that her prayers for her son had been answered. Um, that the child in the recent years had surrendered his life to Jesus and is now walking with the Lord. And it was a powerful experience to be able to share that with her. And so, and then also in Jerusalem, in the original Advent season, I wanted to bring us back to our, our text for today from uh, the main scripture reading that we had at the very beginning from Luke chapter 2. In the original Advent season, this is beginning down in verse 27, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is an incredibly powerful story. And as we close our time in this passage today, I want us to just imagine what that moment must have been like for Simeon. It was the culmination of his life, the culmination of his prayers, that somehow as, as a gift of the Holy Spirit, he had learned that he would be able to hold the child Jesus in his arms. And, and, and at the, near the end of his life, he's able to hold this baby in his arms and he knows exactly who the baby is. And he's able to proclaim and pronounce the song over Jesus, that, that I know who this child is and I know what he has come to do. And if we know the history of the Bible and the context in which this story is set, this is a very powerful thing, that Simeon was given the discernment of the Spirit to know who this child was. And so I hope that as we look at this story that we are, we are um, inspired by the life of Simeon and, and by this gift that, that God gave to Simeon 
and that we, in our own love for Jesus, especially in this Advent season, this is our final Sunday of Advent before we turn to the new year, though we continue to live in, in, as children of, of Advent, which is we await the arrival, we await the arrival of our Redeemer, and this is what we see in the life of Simeon. And so I hope that we, as we look at his life as well, are able to uh, be encouraged and inspired in our own faith, that we would learn through prayer to discern the will of God, to seek the will of God, to pray for the things that God loves, and to pray with, with passion and perse- perseverance and primacy that we would pray as we have never prayed before. Amen? I invite you now to join your hearts with mine as we close our message time together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have shared today, and we thank you for your love for us. We do pray, Lord, as the scriptures have reminded us, to pray for the salvation of the lost, for the unity and building up of the church, for the sending of the workers into the harvest, and for our growth in wisdom. And and we thank you that we see all those things live in the story of Simeon. I pray that his story and his faith and his, his earnestness his belief in in who you made him to be and who you made Jesus to be would be an encouragement and inspiration to each of us. I pray for this church, New Life Burbank, God, and I ask for your continued protection and preservation of it. I thank you that here in Burbank is is a beautiful expression of your love and your truth and that this congregation that you have raised up here, you have done so with a purpose and you've done so with hope and, and Lord I pray that that, um, that you continue to watch over new life and that you continue to, to use this church for your glory and for the strengthening of the work of your gospel in this community we thank you for the time that we've had in your word today and we ask your continued blessing here as we gather around the Lord's table in Jesus name we pray Amen